interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gentlemen. So excited this week on My Bloody Podcast, a very special episode of My Bloody Podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about an amazing film we've been looking forward to for many years, uh, Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining. We saw it. I'm Brian Kluger with Boomstick and High Def. I'm with the man I want to be trapped in a hotel with forever and haunt people, Preston Barta, of the Denton Record Chronicle and Fresh Fiction. What's up, man? Doing well. You doing all right? Yeah. Not so bad? Not too bad. Not too bad. We just got to get into this. Again, special episode. We have a returning champion coming to the podcast right now. Uh, We're very excited to have him back on the show. David Lowry is here, the legendary filmmaker. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. Thank you for asking. (laughs) We're in Dallas. It's November, and it's finally showed its wintry head, I think. It's cold. It's wet. Uh, I mean, yesterday it was like 80 degrees, and now today it is like 40. So Classic Texas winter. Yes, yes it is. So we're on this, this almost gloomy and stormy afternoon. I'm going to talk to you about The Shining and Dr. Sleep, all sorts of good stuff. But first, let's, let's catch up. Well, David, Preston, what have you, did you do anything for Halloween? Did you get into that at all? I love Halloween. My yard was very decorated this year. Um, but I had to deal with a, a runaway cat, so that was my Ooh. my Halloween. Scary in a different way, but oh, no. he came home. He's back. Oh, a runaway! That's scary. It was it was terrible. It was the worst Halloween ever. Oh, that is because I, I at my old house in East Dallas, uh, the gate would sometimes open and sometimes Bug would be out there, my dog, and I would just not see her, and it's like the worst feeling, like the worst nightmare, right? Indeed, indeed, <laughs> it, it is. Uh, but did you? I guess. So I gave out candy to trick-or-treaters yeah. while looking for a cat. Okay, while, while looking for a cat. Yeah. Did you get to, like, were there any good costumes? Or do you, are you the type of house that gives away, like, full-size candy bars? Yeah, and I get, like, those, as I mentioned just a few months ago, being vegan, I'm like, I buy vegan candy. So it's like these What's unreasonably unreasonably expensive candy bars. <laughs> so I like to think that our house is a good stop because you're getting... Um, Gourmet candy bars, but what what is vegan candy bars? I, I'm they still really, have milk in them. They, they still don't have milk. Yeah, in them? are just, they made by Hershey or somebody? Have they gotten into that realm? I'm sure they have. But okay, these are it's a brand called Unreal, and they're okay, really delicious. Okay, it's like candy bars and peanut butter cups and Ooh. little packets of peanut M and M's. I'll have to try that vegan candy bars. And supposedly right? they're, I mean, they're still just as much sugar, so they're no no healthier, but at least there's no <laughs> dairy in them no to dairy. to clog up your sinuses. <laughs> All right, no, I, I hear you. Oh my goodness. Do you dress up your cats? They have costumes, and we dress them up for posed pictures, and then we take the costumes off because they don't like wearing them. Gotcha. <laughs> And have you ever been, uh, do you like still dress up now? Um, I haven't dressed up in a long time. I don't, um, I don't know why. I mean, I think like two years ago I did dress up as something. It's just like a general like scary skeleton sort of look. And then the last time I did a proper costume was probably 10 years ago. And I did like the full Sweeney Todd, oh, Tim Burton Sweeney Todd that's uh, cool. costume. 
that was the last time I went out and like bought stuff specifically to like be somebody. But then I, I usually if I'm going out to like a party or something like that, I'll put on, you know, at the very least some eyeliner. Okay. I like it. Did you do the 24-hour movie marathon, horror movie marathon this year? We didn't do it this year because my wife is um, out of town Mm -hmm. directing her own movie. And so uh, in her absence, we didn't want to do the full thing. So we did the Dismember the Alamo at the Alamo Draft House, where they do like five movies. And then the next day we did another five movies at home. But it wasn't the full 24-hour thing we, we usually do. Do you have a go-to like horror film that you watch every Halloween? Like you have to watch it? No, um, we do that for Christmas for sure, but we don't for Halloween. We, you know, we always talked about like how Poltergeist should be like the one movie we watch every marathon. Then we only we did it once, and that was it. So, um, so there's not. We we generally are always trying to find new stuff, stuff we've never seen before, stuff we haven't cool. seen in a long time. Cool. I like it. What about you, Preston? Do you dress up? You got you got the full family now, so you. Probably go out trick or treating and fam and we dress we, up. we went to the Dallas Zoo on Sunday before Halloween, and we <clears throat> my son dressed up as Buzz Lightyear, and uh, we went with some family members and went trick or treating out there. But we initially weren't going to go trick or treating on Halloween night because uh, we get home at like five o'clock, and then by the time I get my son ready, which is usually five o'clock, is the crankiest that he is because that's right before <laughs> dinner time. Um, but we did, we just felt compelled that we had to take them. We wanted to start this tradition. And so we went to a nearby neighborhood that we know that does a lot of trick-or-treating mm-hmm. um, because only our, our neighbor goes all out and it's the only house in the area. They like, they put up all these decorations. They had like a pinhead in the, in the yard. So we did go next door there and then we went to a neighborhood down the road and hit about five houses and he still had a full bag of candy. So yeah, it was good. <laughs> That's good. Uh, no trick-or-treaters here. It's gated, and there's no really kids here. But I have a giant bowl of candy. That's for me, really. Oh, for you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, when I go, I'm like, ooh, let's get candy. And then the sale after Halloween is like 50% off, so you right, yeah. more. And it's good. People come over, they eat candy. I don't know. And then uh, I did dress up this year. I had a few people over. I did uh, Ted Theodore Logan from Bill & Ted. Excellent. <laughs> that was fun. And then we watched movies. Uh, so I p- picked out, of course, The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and uh, Dead Alive, or Brain Dead from Peter Jackson. And I ended on Freddy vs. Jason. So excited. <laughs> Has your wife seen all those? No, she had never seen Freddy vs. Jason. And okay. we sh- I showed her, it's like, that wasn't bad. I was like, no, it's not bad. <laughs> so how early in y'all's relationship did you show her Dead or Alive? Uh, probably, like... Early on, maybe like the first Halloween or something like that. It's like, oh, we got to watch this. Is that like your litmus test? No. Well, so basically she had never seen any of the Lord of the Rings. And so I did a whole day where we marathoned all the extended editions. And then I made meals like Levensies, second breakfast to go inside it. And she's like, oh, these are so good. It's like, wait, you should see one of his first films. (laughs) Watch Dead Alive with me. And then it was hard for her to get through it because of the gore. But she laughed and she had a good time with it. So I was excited for her to see it again. Yeah, I don't think my wife would watch that one with me. She she was a trooper and did watch Troll 2 with me when Troll I had 2. to uh, <laughs> review that. Uh, so right now I know, I have a pretty good gauge of what she can tolerate. Well, you just have to tell her it's a romantic comedy. And it really <laughs> is. It's a romantic movie. Sure. We had, um, when my wife and I uh, got married, moved in together and you know combined our movie collections we both had copies of Dead Alive, and uh, so I think we still have both of them. So. I know if you have the Blu-ray of Dead Alive, it's a collector's item now. It's like for ninety bucks or something. Yeah, or oh, really? I, yeah, it's I crazy. Just got the old DVD. 
It's they're out of print. Yeah. yeah, you can't find them. Unfortunately, I think they should be like a Criterion collection for that. <laughs> I really hope so because that would be so much fun to watch. But uh, yeah, Halloween is here and gone on to Thanksgiving because it is November, um, and which means it's like end of year movies, guys. Uh, is there any end of year films you're looking forward to that you just like gotta see? Oh gosh, what's coming out? I mean, Star Wars is kind of like obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is because it's like the last Skywalker one, allegedly. Yeah, I'm sure they'll do another one at some point. But, jeez, uh, what else is coming out? Well, we have uh, Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Uh, what else? Uh, Ford versus Fiari. Yes, Ford versus Ferrari. Um, what Uncut about Gems? Yeah, Uncut Gems with Adam Sandler. Which oh looks yeah, I like, can't wait for that. I can't wait for that either. That and The Irishman, I'm excited about. What about the the um, Mr. Rogers one with Tom Hanks? Oh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah, is that, does that interest any of you? Yeah, I, I can't wait to see that. I've seen parts of it because I I know the director. She and I are friends, and uh, and it was. I was like a little skeptical, you know, just being like, how are you going to have Mr. Rogers, one of the most famous, you know, facets of my childhood played by someone else who's equally as famous in a different way. But within like five minutes, you're just like, oh, that's, uh, that's just Mr. Rogers. You just accept it. Yeah. And and that movie is a story on his life or is it a story about a show? It's about someone searching for, like someone who's like, is Mr. Rogers always really cracked up to be? And so, so it's, he is a supporting character in the story as okay. opposed to the protagonist. Okay, so it doesn't follow Mr. Rogers. That's a good take. I like that. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else is coming out. I think those are like the big ones, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, Waves. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Trevor Schultz's next film. Um, I think those Yeah, are... all the rest of the A24 movies. Like <laughs> yeah. In Fabric, okay. Waves, and Uncut Gems. I'm really excited about all <laughs> this. You haven't seen In Fabric yet? Not yet. It's screened like five times in the Dallas area, and I've missed every Everyone? opportunity. I hear it's a it's a wild one. It like, should be good. I really like uh, Peter Strickland's films. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm I'm looking forward to all those, and it's it's interesting to see because I guess in the like, the past few years it seems like they push a ton of movies in December, right, or even close to Christmas. Is there a reason why they would in try the, to give us just you know, into the into the year awards end of year films? Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, David, you, is there? Oh, did you like Did you like Jojo Rabbit? I did. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Okay. Yeah. I, I loved it too. I because uh, I didn't see it at Fantastic Fest. I saw uh, Guns Akimbo instead. Yeah. <laughs> because I have no idea when that's coming out. Um, but I love Jojo Rabbit when I saw it here in Dallas, and it just I love the take on it. Uh, David, is there anything you're working on currently that you can talk about? I've got this movie called The Green Knight that I'm editing um, that we shot earlier this year, uh, and writing some other stuff and that's that's about it right now just hanging out at home in dallas procrastinating a lot procrastinating so you're in the editing phase yeah and i've got my edit suite set up at my house so i just like stay at home my wife is gone so just me and four cats and (laughs) a bunch of hard drives and a bunch of hard drives yeah what do you do to procrastinate is there anything like anything that you Uh, watch movies watch movies um lately i'm uh Ever since I saw Free Solo last year, I really got into rock climbing. So I'm just like obsessively rock climbing and I'm training for another marathon. So I do a lot of exercising, which is weird because I'm not like a fitness freak or anything. And uh, building Star Wars Lego kits, things like that. Oh, okay. So two questions then. Free Solo. You said you got into rock climbing. Would you ever do Free Solo? Like, would you ever climb without ropes? 
I mean, I have like at Mineral Wells, like on okay. on like things that feel safe, but I would never go high. like that. I would never go that high. That that I think it's, it's <laughs> which I I don't trust myself. I know, no that that dock is so good, and I guess some of the guys that worked on that dock were did the Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh really? Yeah, oh, the yeah, directors. No, yeah, they they worked with that director on Free Solo, and it was cool to talk to him about like you know, getting into rock climbing and all, like, the stunts or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just, I love that. And I, I think that's cool. I, I love Free Solo. And then my next question is Star Wars kits. What are you, or I mean, Lego kits. What are you working on Lego-wise? I just got the new Star Destroyer that they just released. Okay. Which is huge. And I don't know where I'm going to put it when it's done. Because <laughs> I've got the big Millennium Falcon and... Hogwarts. I, I did Hogwarts, Hogwarts last year. I've got a bunch of, like, little Harry Potter kits that surround... Hogwarts, um, but um, but Star Wars ones are my favorite because they kind of look like Lego kits already. Like mm-hmm. all the spaceships just look like they're made out of Legos, right? So they really lend themselves to that um, form, and it's just really fun to put them together. But I only like the big ones. I don't like little ones. I like the ones that take me like a month or two to put together. And the, yeah, I'm curious because I was at North Park the other day and I walked into the Lego store and I actually saw the Star Destroyer. I saw the Death Star and those in the Millennium Falcon. Those sets are gigantic. Like yeah, the, the Star Destroyer I didn't realize was that big until I saw it at the Lego store and I was like, oh, I didn't realize that's what was in this box. Right? Because <laughs> the looks, box isn't that big. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's crazy, and it looks like it comes with like I mean, a it's thousand... the size of this table. Right, it's right. It's like, it's ridiculous. And do you have them all displayed or whatnot? <clears throat> they're just kind of like sitting on various shelves in my office. Okay. Um, and uh, they're not properly displayed, and they're just super fragile. That's the problem. It's like the Millennium Falcon is like so big, but it's super fragile, so it's like kind of just want to just put it on something and leave it there. Yeah, like never, a glass display. Yeah, exactly. And uh, on the insides of like the, the Millennium Falcon, can you build like the inside of the ship too? Or it's like fully built out, oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. It's fully built out. I gotta think these instructions are like a thousand or two they thousand They are. Pages. Well, like they're huge. I mean, they're the size of these books that you've got here. But um, <laughs> and then the Hogwarts one was like four books. It was pretty <laughs> Oh my pretty, goodness. It was pretty cool. Did you have the Simpsons one? I, I know there's a Simpsons house. No, I don't. I'm really particular about them. Like, I okay. really just like big Star Wars ships. Like, I don't like the Death Star. <laughs> I just like the ships. And then the, okay. I liked Hogwarts because it was just cool to build a giant castle. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. I'm glad you're doing that. Uh, I've, I've wanted to get back into Lego so much. And I was yeah. like, oh my goodness. What am I going to do? <laughs> Can I ask about your, your editing process? Do you devote a certain amount of time per day to work on it? How important is it to kind of step away? I should do that. I, um, I <clears throat> kind of just work on it when, like, I'll spend most of the day not working on it, and then I'll be like, okay, I need to work on this, and I'll sit down to work on it like late at night and either get caught up in it and spend hours on it, or get frustrated and spend five minutes on it. So it's very, it's a lot of fits and starts. And that's how my writing process is, too. So somehow they get done. I have no idea how. I just don't spend that much time working on them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. So is there, like a, a, like, a day where you have to, like, be done with this, the editing process? Or is it... Are you there are... It's a rolling target. But okay. there is a day that we're supposed to be, like, mixing. So I'm like, I guess we have to have a, something to mix. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I do need to finish it. But it is... 
you know, it's an organic process. And luckily there's no release date that I have to like hit right now. I'm sure there will be soon, but right now it's like a little nebulous. So I can, I can procrastinate a little bit longer, I suppose. Do you love the editing process because you get to see it come together? Yeah, that's really where it feels like you're making the movie to me. Like when you're in production, it feels like you are gathering material, which is what you're doing. And then the edit is where it really starts to click into place and feel like a movie. Like when you're in production, like sometimes you feel like what you're watching on the monitor or in real life in front of you is a movie, but more often than not, you're, you know, you're just checking things off the list. You're trying to make it all great, but you're also just like saying, okay, we need this shot, we need this shot, we need this shot, and let's get the shot that we missed yesterday. And then it's not till you're in the editorial process that all those shots get put together and become a movie. And that's where it really feels like filmmaking to me. No, that's awesome. So since you're so closely linked with editing and know that whole process, you can like write for the edit and shoot for the edit. Because I'm curious about... like I definitely do, although that sometimes gets me in trouble. Mike Flanagan also edits his own stuff too. That, no, that's I think that's a great thing because I guess you're, I guess it would just if you had another editor, you would just be in the room with them telling what you wanted. Yeah, because right? I've worked with another editor mm-hmm. on on a couple movies, and and she and I work great together. But you know, I have my edit system; she has hers, and we just sort of like trade off scenes, trade off reels, and and so I'm always working on it, um, getting my you know hands dirty in the edit, even if there is another editor on board. Okay. Cool. All right. I like that. Uh, well, looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be weird. That's, a, that's all I can say. It's a really weird movie. It's a really weird movie. Have you seen The Lighthouse? <laughs> it's uh, not as weird as that, perhaps, but um, I wish it were that weird. I loved, I loved The Lighthouse. That was amazing. I did, too. I, I really love so The funny. Lighthouse. It, it is. And I, I, Midsommar's funny, too. Yeah. 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 Great film. It, it, those two films, you can bill them different ways, I think. You know, with Midsommar, you know, a romantic but then breakup movie. And then Lighthouse, what would you comment? Like, the odd couple, basically. But <laughs> What was that tweet that we read? Uh, Stepbrothers done by Kubrick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And it really, and it almost is, you know? It's... Yeah. They're either, they're best friends and their worst enemies. And uh, it's so good. I, I loved it. Yeah. But uh, let, let's move on. Uh, let's get to, uh, before we get to our main event, uh, let's talk about our bloody question where we ask a fun horror question and we answer it. Uh, question this week, uh, Preston, I believe you came up with that. Uh, yeah, in uh, celebration of Dr. Sleep opening this week, there's a aspect of the film that involves people getting inside other people's heads mm-hmm. so if you could get inside the cerebral library or get inside the mind of a horror character which horror character would you pick and why yeah there you go um david <laughs> um i suppose hannibal lecter would be really interesting because he'd probably learn a lot of other stuff in addition to uh the history of all the horrible true crime not true crime but for the sake of the question true crime that he uh, has committed, and or maybe someone like David Bowie in The Hunger. So you have someone who's like got a sense of history, but who also like isn't like a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. so you're not horribly depressed afterwards. I like that. I mean, I think uh, Hannibal Lecter. He's just so smart, and it seems that he has so much information. Yeah, you can learn some new languages. <clears throat> right, right. Oh, that'd be great, Preston. Um, I guess to kind of go along with Hannibal Lecter, I would pick Candyman. Just because I like to, I like his uh, sense of history and his observation of 
gentrification and things like that. So I just like to pick his mind and see how he thinks. Okay. I like it. I went with Jigsaw. Because <laughs> he's kind of like Batman in a way, in my mind. Like he's almost like a vigilante trying to take out not like the worst people in society, but like people who need a change. Boondock Saints? Yeah, it's kind of like that. And I just, I think the guy is incredibly elaborate and detailed, and I would love to see how his mind works like that. Something like, like Jigsaw. You gotta be pretty smart to come up with contraptions like that. Yeah, because like, like I guess they said in the movie, he doesn't actually kill his victims, they kill themselves. Right. And it was just, it was pretty cool. I like, I would like to get in the mind of that. And then I guess if I could, if you could consider the Joker, like any incarnation really, I would like to get in that mind because I would love to know. Um, get lost in it. You could get lost in it for sure. Uh, we'll read a couple entries from Reddit. We bring the question to Reddit, and we get some que- uh, some answers. Uh, so uh, to go with David's uh, David's suggestion, Ichi the Killer sixty two said Hannibal Lecter, and why would I want to control him? He's got great taste. Aha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, Brybe said Miss Carmody in the Mist. I guess that is um, what's her name, the one that the religious zealot. Uh, take a leisurely walk home, which is good on many levels too. We'll post the Reddit link so you can see the rest of the comments. But let's move on to bloody recommendations. Uh, we recommend a horror film. New or old, we just want you to see it or watch it again. So, Preston, start with you this time. What is your recommendation this week? Um, I'm cheating a bit here because I have recommended this movie before on this podcast, but it was one of the early ones that I recommended. After watching Dr. Sleep, I feel like it's so fitting to be a companion piece with Dr. Sleep. So, I'm picking 1996, Abel Ferreira's The Addiction. From the director of King of New York and Bad Lieutenant. The shocking new film from Abel Ferrara, Lily Taylor, Christopher Walken, Annabella Sciorra. You want to know what's going to happen? Let's wait and see. The Addiction. Coming this fall. Okay. The movie is a vampire movie set within the milieu of graduation school of psychology. Yeah. Um, it stars Lily Taylor, Edie Falco, Christopher Walken, and the movie involves Lily Taylor's character, whose name's Kathleen. Uh, she is studying psychology. She walks home one night and is assaulted by a woman named Casanova. So she's, Casanova says, Can you tell me? To leave you alone. And then uh, she does, bites her, and then the rest of the movie becomes the traditional physical and psychological transformation of becoming a vampire. There's there's more going on with it. Uh, for instance, Christopher Walken's character, who's only in it for about five minutes. Uh, it probably steals the show. No, he's very good. Uh, he plays this... Uh, ancient vampire character that's been around for a long time and he's adjusted back to humanity like he can take a piss and do all these things <laughs> and uh, has a interesting conversation with uh, Lily Taylor's character but most of it is just a uh, allegory of heroin usage 
and uh, but it's it's a really fascinating film, and it's what I thought of when I was watching Doctor Sleep in terms of the the True Knot and even uh, Snake by Andy mm-hmm. and her character and how she like lures men in the pedophiles. Um, so it has a little bit of all that, but it's it's a very it can be a very heavy-handed film. Um, for instance, I have to pause it every once in a while and uh, study the language a bit, like as if I'm reading Shakespeare. It's a challenging one, but I find it a lot of fun. So uh, it's a unique interpretation of vampires. All right, but very low key. Low key, I, I like low key vampires. You make a good double feature with Michael Armoritas, Nadja, which came out like yeah. I think the same year, and also has sort of like the same feel to it. Yeah, that's good. I like have, it. Have you never seen it? I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah, you should check it out. I need to. Uh, David, what's your recommendation? I saw this movie when we were doing our mini marathon uh, last week called Spider Baby. <laughs> Which is from 1967. That's with Sid Haig, right? With Sid Haig. Yes. Directed by Jack Hill. And I had never heard of it before, never seen it, never didn't know anything about it. And was just so delighted by it that I quickly just like recommended it to a bunch of other friends who also watched it and were delighted by it. And it's just, it's sort of like just a really screwed up Adam's Family. I mean, it feels like the Adam's Family TV show, except really screwed up. Like, te- Adam's Family meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. And it is, I mean, it's so, it starts off so cute and quaint that you just think, oh, well, this is going to be a pretty milk toast movie. And then it gets so fucked up so fast, but it's so funny. <laughs> uh, it's just a true delight. Really a great Halloween uh, viewing experience. It stars. Sid Higgs, and I think it was his first movie, but also Lon Chaney Jr., one of his last movies. And it was super low budget, shot in like 12 days for like 100 grand in some house outside of L.A. And um, you can tell it's like a very low budget movie. And Jack Hill's famous for making, you know, these exploitation pictures. And But this one is just so clever and so smart and funny. It's like you could tell they're just having a blast making it. Yeah, no, I saw that a while ago or a long time ago, I think college. And is is it? Out? Can I, is it on Blu-ray right now? I think so. Somebody it's on Amazon Prime. That's okay. how we saw it. It was like streaming. <laughs> All right. So, I, so you loved it? Yeah, I loved it. It was just, it was just a, just a true delight. Yeah, it's it's good because like if you if you don't remember the word the name Sid Haig, you would like Captain Spaulding from the Rob Zombie House of Thousand Corpses. But yeah, go back to Spider Baby <laughs> and see that. No, that's good. I like it. These are good recommendations. Uh, mine. Uh, I went with a Stephen King uh, novel. Um, 1993, George Romero's The Dark Half. You really don't realize what you like when you write those books, do you? It's like watching Jekyll turn into Hyde. We're here to question you in connection with a capital crime. Evidence says you did it. George Stark has somehow come to life. Hello, George. I've come closer to believe a ghost story than this. You're talking about a man who never was. No! He 
wants to take over your life. Can't you see that? Based upon a book by Stephen King comes George A. Romero's masterful vision of a nightmare come true. Are you ready? Just waiting on you. The Dark Half. Y'all remember this movie? I love that book, but I never watched the movie. Uh, yeah, starring Timothy Hutton and Michael Rooker. <laughs> and it's basically about a writer who writes under um, a name, a fake name, about this like serial killer guy, and he wants to end the this book series. So he like buries the guy, but this character actually comes to life and starts to kill everybody this guy knows. And it's like a super cool story, and I can't. It, it like kind of goes with The Shining a little bit, but it's I think it's done very well, and it's very 19, early 90s-esque, good Michael Rucker's in there, and George Romero, you know, a lot of people only know him from uh, the zombie films, but no, he made The Dark Half, he made an O.J. Simpson documentary, you know, it's crazy, so uh, it, check this movie out, The Dark Half, uh, the cool, it almost kind of reminds me a little bit of the... The Carpenter movie um, with Sam Neill um, in the mouth of madness. in the mouth of madness, which I love too. About you know, great. Uh, creatures and characters coming to life, featuring but, the first on-screen role of Hayden Christensen, I think. In in the mouth of madness, yeah, he's like a weird kid riding down the road on a bike. Was that him? Yeah. How did I not yeah, remember Skywalker this? himself? <laughs> That's great. Oh, I miss that guy. <laughs> Um, no, so yeah, go see The Dark Half, uh, um, and then go see Spider Baby and The Addiction, right? Yep. Yes, there you go. That's a, that's a true, I would see that in the theater, pay money to see those three films. That'd be a weird double, triple feature. Like, you <laughs> how would, would you, how would you, which one would you see first, second, and third? What would you start and end on? I probably, just because of going off of like, what was that question that we did a couple episodes ago about like if you could create your own little movie oh, marathon movie marathon yeah what my my angle would be starting off with the more intellectual films and then getting more fun okay just to wake up Did, your brain so probably the addiction uh yeah. probably dark half uh-huh and then spider, and spider baby. baby that'd be super cool i like it i'd watch that trilogy of terror not to be confused with the actual movie TV movie. Uh, let's move on to the main event of the episode, My Bloody Podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about Dr. Sleep. When I was a kid, there was a place. A place that's dangerous for people like me. People who shine. Nobody shines like you. Someday, Danny Torrance, you'll teach someone else. Hello, Danny. Come play with us. Oh, my. Uh, the sequel to The Shining, written by Stephen King himself a few years ago. Uh, so good. And directed and written by Mike Flanagan. Co-written. Co-written, yes. And uh, first off, um, knowing that the movie was being made... Uh, were there any expectations for this movie? And if, I guess first, did anybody read the book? I read the book. I read part of it. Okay. I, I stopped reading Stephen King books, not for any good reason, but a long time ago. And that was like when I picked up, uh, just because I was really curious about it. And unfortunately, didn't finish it. But um, You got some? And you read I, it, right? I, I knew what the context of it was. Okay, yeah. So uh, what were your expectations going into Dr. Sleep? Because it's com- probably pretty high coming off like The Shining, like one of... A brilliant horror film. I mean, I think the novel The Shining is a brilliant novel, and I think the movie's a brilliant movie, and obviously there's 
you know, no need to go into all the reasons why they're different and brilliant in different ways. But I just don't think you can make a truly satisfying mm -hmm. sequel to either of them. Um, and so I knew it was going to be a tall order. And so my, the thing that got me excited about it was just that Mike Flanagan was doing it because I really love his movies. So I was, I was hoping more for just a good Mike Flanagan movie than, uh, sequel to you know one of the greatest horror books and greatest horror films of all time like i there's no way you're going to top that or live up to those expectations so the most i could hope for was a really good movie in its own right which i think it was i think it was a really great um i, I was just, i was really delighted with the whole film i'm using the word delight a lot in this podcast but but <laughs> it's good, delightful good, and delicious good horror films delight me and <laughs> and it was really enjoyable i i you know there's no way to um, escape the legacy of what Kubrick did. So it was really smart of him to wrap that into the film. At the same time, those images are so symbolic at this point that they become baggage for the movie at the same time. So it's it's a difficult balancing act that he's walking, and I think he he pulls it off quite well. And but the stuff that was really impressive to me was, in you know, I didn't finish the book, so I'm not. I can't speak too thoroughly about this, but I thought in the book that the true knot was pretty silly. And I just thought all that stuff was kind of ridiculous. Because yeah. well, it, 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 you almost think, cause it, <clears throat> excuse me, it is uh, almost like a witch coven. Like you, it kind of gets similar. And just that image of them driving around in RVs. I mean, it's like, it's sort of silly. But then like that stuff in the movie is incredible. Like it's all great. And I love it every second of it. And, you know, the the more distance it got from... The Shining, both the book and the and the movie, mm -hmm. the better the movie got, and yeah. so all of that stuff, like the whole sequence where Rebecca Ferguson is astrally projecting to the little girl's bedroom, it's absolutely incredible. Like so, like the, I think we were at the same screening. The audience was like cheering at the end of it. It's a really incredible sequence. So everything involving them was just top notch, and it was you know, fine that it's also wrapped up in the Shining mythology. That didn't detract from it. But, like, that wasn't where the movie really, pun, no pun intended, shone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I I would agree with that. Um, because it's, like you said, it's hard or difficult to um, be entranced in that whole area of the Shining and make a, any sort of sequel to that. But I like where they went because it's its own movie, too. Like they could have picked it up and they have like the lore and mythology from the first film. It's very similar to Ready Player One that you're just like seeing things that have made you happy in the past in a different context. And Ready Player One, I think it actually worked a little better just because it was such a completely different context. Yeah. And here you're ostensibly bringing back similar characters. Um, and so it's not the, the frisson is a little different and not quite as. You're, you're being a little bit more critical of it. Yeah. Um, but it still works and that you're like, I'm happy to see that set on screen. I'm happy to see the decayed Overlook Hotel. I'm happy to see him peek through that doorway that his dad hacked open with an axe. That makes me happy um, in a nostalgic way, in the same way that it's happy, nice to see Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon again. <laughs> um, but ultimately, it's never going to touch a candle to the original, just like sure. Force Awakens is never going to be as good as Star Wars. You can't do it. Um, and... So the most you can hope for is that it doesn't desecrate the memory of something you loved. And this by no means does that. It's a totally acceptable that it ends in a climax at the Overlook Hotel. But 
I also will never think about this movie in the same way that I think about The Shining, nor will I think about this as a true follow-up to The Shining. Like, as far as I'm concerned, both the book and the movie end definitively, and this is just like a a what-if, in a way, a curio. But when I think about it from the perspective of the true knot and Abra and, and this Uncle Dan character, all of a sudden it becomes a really meaningful story and a really meaningful movie that actually like has a lot of uh really incredible filmmaking in it and some classic horror movie moments and and some smart things to say about addiction and and it works on its own, it, you know it carries its own weight i like the addiction aspect of it that was really good they they hit that on the head i think it's really yeah. interesting how much mike flanagan's other work has all kind of bled to this in a way and obviously mm-hmm. like i think house on Han hill is superior to this um because in even though it's based on a novel, ostensibly it's still, I would say it's an original film. And, but it has all those same benchmarks. It has the, the, you know, the AA group, it has the addiction, it has the family, uh, the dissolution of a family. It has like the crazy parents, you know, tormenting children. All of that that stuff is in there. And, and even if you go back to like some of his earlier movies, like Oculus and stuff like that, it has, has all the same stuff. So it's really fun to see him, you know, building this own language that he's using to tell, to make these horror films. Like, whether it's something visual like the glowing pinhole eyes, which were also an Oculus, or the thematic stuff like addiction or the sins of the parents visited upon the children. Things like that all carry over from one film to the next with with him. And it's really, it's nice to see that through line. I agree. Preston, anything? Uh, my feelings are a bit complicated. I feel I felt I've seen it twice, and I needed to see it a second time because I felt pretty conflicted about things because I was going in with, you know, protecting. My guard was up. At that point, I had only read half of Doctor Sleep. I have since read it uh, right before uh, seeing it the second time. It's difficult for me to separate the fact that Mike Flanagan worked on The Haunting of Hill House and had 10 episodes, so much time to explore all these themes. And I don't think it's fair to say that he is exploring very similar material, but doing it within a two and a half hour window. And I'd be curious to know how much the story would benefit if he had that much room to explore this story. Because to me, this is like three different movies. The most interesting one to me and the most interesting one to me in the book is all the stuff with Dan. Like, I could watch a whole really reserved movie of Dan just overcoming addiction and then working at the nursing home and then being what the title of the movie is, Doctors, helping those yeah. people cross over. And I loved all of that. That's what I was wanting out of a sequel for a movie like this. Something that isn't so big and this movie's very sprawling. So you would rather well, maybe like a mini series or like two or three movies? Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, like maybe having its own episode to be, to focus on those things. Um, because then the other two movies would be, you know, the, the True Knot, which as David said, like I really like what they did, what Mike Flanagan did. Uh, with them in comparison to the book, like Rose the Hat, not having her walrus tooth and all that stupid shit. And, but then <laughs> I really like the the way that we ease into getting to know the true knot through uh, Snake by Andy's character, because like that could be a whole movie itself in a girl in the dragon tattoo kind of way of her getting revenge on the fact that her father sexually abused her 
And then she's just, you know, doing the whole uh, thing that we were talking about with Boondock Saints, just uh, tossing out the garbage in a way. Yes. Um, So I don't know if just because it's so big that I uh, just felt overwhelmed of jumping from one thing to the next and that it has to be a perfect marriage between Stephen King's book and then Kubrick's film. But I think in comparison to the book, Mike Flanagan does the best job that he can with that source material. I think I take more issue with some of the things that go on in the book because I want it to be a more subdued uh, continuation versus something that feels so big because The Shining, it's, I mean, it's a cabin fever movie. It's just hanging out in one location and exploring all these things. And I think if you have something that's more simply plotted, you can have elements where you read between the lines and it has all that fascination. This is Dr. Sleep is a really well-defined movie in comparison to The Shining, which is very ambiguous. We're studying it 40 years later and still picking it apart. Um, I think there's a lot of fascinating themes that cause me to reflect on my own life, like Mike Flanagan does with The Haunting of Hill House. I, I just think it's a cool-ass movie, No, I, bottom line. But I do take issue with some things, and I think only time will tell like how I will process all that information. Right, yeah. So I, I loved it. I, lo- I, I love the film. Um, I want to talk about, like we talked about a little bit, about the... Um, the the knot the true knot and yeah it in the book it's when you read it you're like how is this going to adapt onto the screen well and i want to talk about how you think mike flanagan did that and in the scenes because the true knot in the film is super scary super evil i think and i think a lot of that comes with the scene with jacob trembley out of nowhere yeah i think i leaned towards you and was like is that jacob trembley oh my god i just saw him in good boys and this is way different but that scene with torture and death was like he sells you know, he yeah, sells that shock. fear really well right Jacob Trimley, so did I, you did you like that did I mean it was pretty hardcore I was like not yeah. expecting I didn't it. expect it was, like, it, yeah. it was definitely the most horrific moment in the movie and like maybe it's in poor taste but it definitely worked and made them um really palpably evil and I I was I I really appreciate that Jacob Tremblay was in there because I just love that Mike Flanagan just keeps working with the same actors over and over again. I just <laughs> yes. love that they, you can always count on them showing up again, um, uh, for better or worse. We can talk about the spoilers <laughs> of, of one of those that didn't quite work in this one, but um, the uh, that that moment I guess really kind of like grounded them as good villains. And like they they're so pulpy. I mean, it's so, it's so silly. Like it's so pulpy and silly and goofy. And that's one of the things where like the second you introduce that concept into a shining sequel, it's no longer as good as a shining because like you said, the ambiguity has gone. Now it's more like a superhero movie, right? A horror superhero movie. Um, and, and so I, you know, in the book was just sort of annoyed with it. And I would have preferred like a great sequel to the shining would have just been him working at, a nursing home for the whole movie and just seeing the woman for two, three, seven every now and then, and just dealing with his own struggles with addiction and never yeah. anything else. That would have been a great sequel to a sequel to shining that might've like held a candle to the yeah. original. But, um, the second it becomes this pulpy sort of road trip adventure horror story, it becomes something much different. And 
I was surprised at how much I liked it on those terms. Like it was yeah. really, really like they were effective villains. It was really imaginatively depicted the way that their powers worked, and 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 the long all the characters get these long monologues, whether it's like the uh, the crow character in the van when he's driving mm-hmm. Abra somewhere, and or whether it's uh, Cliff Curtis when he's like talking about why he doesn't hunt anymore while they're digging up a something they shouldn't be digging up and. It's a. Uh, it, it had a really nice, novelistic quality to it, that embraced that pulpiness, but also elevated it, mm-hmm. and I really appreciated that. Because yeah. like, on paper, the true knot just doesn't work to me. Like it's like you said, it's. I mean, that hat is stupid. It's just like she's wearing a stupid hat, but somehow <laughs> she cool. sells it. She yeah. totally sells it. Yeah, the, the like bohemian hippies in the caravans and. You're, it's almost like Baba Hotep. You're sucking the souls or essence out of people, and but the, like it, it completely worked, and I I just I love that it did because I was like, oh my goodness. And there's, and I, I'm also curious what y'all thought about the mythology of the actual Shining, because in the original book, in the film, The Shining, you see him uh, telepathically talk to people without speaking, or even when Jack Torrance is trapped in the a pantry the ghost unlocks the door for him but mm-hmm. here there's so much you can do with that the shining and I, I mean it's just a, again it's like a superhero movie at that okay. point so you so, sort of like you sort of just like uh, have to just accept it on that level okay. as opposed to the the more again as you put it the more ambiguous version of it that exists that feels more realistic as well that exists in, in the in the Kubrick film and in the novel like this is more like Jedi Knight stuff okay. it's kind of like Unbreakable versus Split in Glass in that Unbreakable is just so contained yeah. and then you start introducing like these other things like if they were to go beyond Doctor Sleep if this WB decided to take that route it'd probably be a much sillier movie and then we would be entering X-Men kind territory. of territory oh, it's sort ooh, of like yeah. what I mean Stephen King loves his expanded universe. Yes. And and for me as a viewer and a reader, I like The Shining existing in its own universe. Yeah. But the second that uh, that Jack Torrance exists in the um, world of the Dark Tower and all right. the other characters, which I mean, I feel like the Dark Tower is the thing that like combines every everything's... It's like his it, opus. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Like all of his books are encompassed in, in that world and that universe and... The second it gets into that, um, I'm a little less invested because it just is a little less close to home. Yeah. Whereas if this is a you know if, if the book exists unto itself, I'm able to like invest in it to a greater degree, and it feels more personal um, because I know there's not you know some other supernatural monster. It's like it's like I, I get the same feeling uh, sometimes when I'm like watching. Um, superhero movies and you have like someone like Batman existing with Superman it's like less cool once Superman right. and Batman are in the same world together even though there is something kind of cool about that right Not it's like you want moment <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like you want you want things to be a little bit more relatable sometimes and and the and and so the the version of the shining that I personally respond to the most is one that doesn't have all of this all these superhero hijinks in it, because mm-hmm. but that's not to say that 
that's the only version of it. And that's not to say that the movie's not enjoyable in its own right. So, so can I ask, uh, since you said that both The Shining Book and The Shining Film you treat as their own little entities, but do you prefer one of the one over the other? Do you like that Kubrick handles Jack Torrance with like this exploration of madness versus making him more of a redemptive character that they do in the book? You know, I think I really loved the book, and it's one of the first times I've ever experienced like true terror. And I remember reading it twice, like in grade school, and just like the second time, like getting closer to like the room two three seven chapter. I just didn't want to turn the page. <laughs> um, but because I've seen the movie so many more times, I feel mm. like that's had a bigger effect on me, and it's something I think about more often. So I, I suppose I prefer the movie, although I think they're both great in their respective ways. Um, but the movie, the movie, I think is, I mean, I, for better or worse, Kubrick's going for something a little bigger yeah. and a little bit more grandiose, and I appreciate that i like that sense of of you know i like that sense of timeless horror being the theme as opposed to a struggle over addiction and that's not to say that a struggle over addiction is not worthwhile because it is that's a really beautiful theme in its own right but something about that ancient lovecraftian evil that sort of seeps into the into the uh the kubrick film is is really appealing to me yeah same yeah i i uh I, I do like that, and I, I liked where Kubrick took that, even though if the original author didn't enjoy it. I, just, I liked where he went, and I liked where... I think he's come around to it, but uh, I feel like at this point we should like enter spoiler territory with Dr. Sleep. Uh, yes. Because I think what Mike Flanagan does well at the very end, may, uh, concentrate on that relationship between Danny and Wendy inside the boiler room. Yes. And it... And I guess handing it back to Stephen King for ending the film very similarly to The Shining book with the hotel burning down. I, I, I There's just so much about it that I find really fascinating on paper, even if as a film as a whole, I, I take issue with so many different things. But uh, I don't know what, what your thoughts were about him, about Mike Flanagan. Um, bringing the hotel back because for some people this could piss a lot of people off that like that ambiguity of the shining because they some people have you know came up with theories that oh their supernaturalism is not even involved in the movie it could just be all within the minds of the characters but this makes it true makes it a fact that it is supernatural no, I know I liked what Flanagan did with it. And in in, in Dr. Sleep book wasn't, I'm remembering correctly, uh, the Overlook Hotel was already burned down and it was the campsite for the True Knot, right? Right, it still Where took place were, on the grounds. Took place on the grounds. But I know I like that they still had the Overlook Hotel because I think in telling this narrative of the film, it's cool to go back there and see all like, you know, fan service as type stuff. You can't separate it at this point. I mean, that's what, right. That's why... In interviews, Mike Flanagan has said, you know, you can't separate the movie from the iconography of the movie from the cultural understanding of what The Shining is. No matter how prevalent the novel may be in our culture, it's the images are all attached to the movie at this point, and um, and so it's smart to bring that in. Um, I think if he hadn't done that, the movie wouldn't have 
it would have been a little more wishy-washy. It would have been neither here nor there. Been like, well, why you, you wouldn't have connected to The Shining, so it wouldn't have had that sort of you know weight. And then you'd have been like, why am I watching this movie? Like, what? It's just it doesn't it doesn't justify its own length or its own sense of importance. So it's even though like I just doesn't hold a candle to the original film in when it uses those images, it's still smart of him to employ them. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like uh, I don't know when you were explaining that like the Terminator sequels, they'll they'll open up with oh Linda Hamilton she, Sarah Connor she died of cancer right and then the the new one which I won't spoil like there's something else that they do right kind of change the course what what do you think makes good fan service because this is going to be a, an ongoing debate once this movie comes out that they'll say some people will say that this is just too much uh, fan service. See, I, I didn't think so. I so you brought up Terminator, and it's perfect because the fan service in the new Terminator movie. Oh my goodness! I mean, <laughs> if it's done like subtle in a subtle way, yeah. like in ter- in the new Terminator movie, there's a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger is about to leave the house, and he sees sunglasses, and it's like he picks them up, and he it is like no, and it's like oh goodness gracious, hit me over the head with a bag of hammers type of thing. But in Doctor Sleep, it's not like that. It's like necessary to tell the story, I think. There's a goal in mind for it. Right. It's not just to do it. And I think that's, in my opinion, where good fan service meets bad fan service. It's like there's that version of it where you're like, remember that thing you liked? Here, Here's a reminder that we know that you liked it. Right. Yeah. Versus actually employing it. Like the thing in the movie that I think uh, in Doctor Sleep that sort of like approached that the most was the woman in room 237 shows up a lot and the first right. time legitimately terrifying like that yeah. image is freaky and by the end you're sort of like oh there she is again and like it is a little it you they squeezed it out a little bit too much like she's just in there's a little too much and she loses her power because they just keep bringing her back and because like and that's like the closest it comes to like that to me yeah because it seems like she was the constant in every in everybody's thing like with Abra and with Danny and everything and yeah I was curious about that too but the the one scene that I want to talk or really want to bring up with like I guess fan service which I really love the scene um was when Danny went to the bar in the Overlook Hotel sat down in the exact same seat and he's talking to the bartender but it's not his bartender it's his dad Jack and and that was played by. <laughs> is this what you're hinting at? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm curious. I, I, oddly, I don't think it's fan service. I think that was a really, really no, well written scene. It was, and, and I, it's you. You know, you, you go in there. You know, Jack Torrance is going to show up at some point. Just like you know, when you watch El Camino, that Brian Cranston is going to show up. You know, you, you know it's going to happen. So it's like just a matter of how and when. And um, I thought it was a beautifully written scene, really well executed, and unfortunately. It's just so distracting to see Henry Thomas with that wig and those eyebrows. <laughs> it's so like I was I was looking at it, I was like, oh my goodness, is that really him? And uh, it, it, I mean, Flanagan, to his credit, he shot it mostly from the side, right? Which and it works, but once you get around to the full frame, uh, it takes it robs a little bit of the magic of the scene, and especially when they start showing. The recreations of certain memories right. of uh, the original shine. I love that scene so much. Even like years and years ago, I did a, I made like a collection of my favorite scenes on a DVD. There's like a hundred scenes, and that scene from The Shine is on there just because I love that he tells the story on 
why he drinks and what he does. And in here, I love that they kept Jack Torrance, like, telling him why he drank in, like, keeping with, like, the bad side of him. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just thought that was so clever and good. And then him knocking the drink away, I, just, I thought that was great. Super good scene, except for it just is... It takes I you wish, out of it? I wish he hadn't looked so much like... they try, You know, they just made him look a little too much like Jack Nicholson. You're just like, that's... Well, it's a wig. It's fake eyebrows. <laughs> it's like that stuff like just really like sort of pop the moment, pop the illusion for me. Whereas if it, you know, if they, I'm trying to think of how you would shoot that in a way or if you just do like the. Well, I mean, do, we do you could think do they it, like, reached out to Jack Nicholson and like they wanted to do like the motion capture young thing they did in The Irishman? I, no, I feel like Flanagan made a point as you see with uh, the actress from the Haunting of Hill House that they got to play Wendy, who does a really good job yes. because they use her so not that often throughout. I, I think he just, at that point, just made a point that he wanted to just use uh, actors to kind of just recreate those things. And his repertory players. Instead like of bringing in his, his team. Right, right. Versus... He could have used like more shots from The Shining, but the only shot that they used was the blood from the elevator. Right. But he wanted to recreate them. So it could still feel like it's grounded within the reality of this film. I think he made the right choice for the most part. It just, it's a hard thing to pull off. Would you have th- thought it would have been um, different if they used Henry Thomas, but maybe gotten Jack Nicholson's voice? That would have been weird too. They should have just gotten Stephen Weber from the TV movie. Oh, hey, so there you go. <laughs> deep cut, deep cut there. How would have, oh my god, I wonder if many people would have like gotten that. Because no, I, everyone would have been like, what the fuck is Stephen Weber doing? <laughs> yeah. And also, who's Stephen Weber? <laughs> yeah, I know. Thanks. Well, that, that, I, I really, really enjoyed that scene. Um, what was there, or I guess let's talk about the score a little bit. And I guess they did do a little Too service. much fucking heartbeat. You think so? Yeah. It did, yeah, and I did it a couple times, um, but I, I, I didn't have it didn't bother me too much. So using kind of like the similar effect or piano. Well, effects, yeah, like they got the, dee 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 dee. yeah, they did. Newton Brothers came back after Flanagan worked uh-huh. with them on the Haunted Hill House, but uh, yeah, I, I liked everything around it. It just to me the heartbeat got to me a little bit just because uh, Kubrick does use that toward right. the end of The Shining. But here he was using it in areas where it would have been more effective, like what Kubrick does and what makes The Shining so scary is using sound effects and not using score. Right. Maybe just like a few uh, strings or whatever uh, every now and then. But uh, around that, I thought it was fairly effective. And uh, what did you think of the actress who played Abra? I thought her character was like super confident. She never seemed scared like the child in danger type of character. Did you like that? And uh, did you like her in the film? Yeah, that was great. She was yeah. really enjoyable. It, yeah. it, it, was the, like, the character like believable as like she showed no fear whatsoever? Yeah, that's kind of cool. I mean, yeah. That's the point in which I'm like, I'm just enjoying this movie like, okay. on this, like I'm enjoying what they're offering me. Like it's working on the level at which it's been designed. It's yeah. executed great. Would it have been interesting to see a character who's afraid? 
Sure, that'd be fine. But I also like they did a really good job of having a really confident twelve-year-old girl. It, it was refreshing yeah. to me. I thought I was yeah. like, hey, she's knows what she's reminded me of uh, Jeff Goldblum's daughter in Lost World. Uh, <laughs> like, she's like, she, yep, she could kick some Velociraptor butt if she wanted to. Yes, on the high bars. <laughs> that was so funny. Oh yeah, I, I noticed that in the movie. I was like, wow, she's just she can handle it. She yeah. can handle. The, like they they do so many reversals and tricks and like where she's you know it's really it plays the audience very effectively and you really have a lot of there's so many satisfying like moments of one upmanship with her that mm-hmm. are just too satisfying to deny right um, and what about Ewan McGregor how did you like him I thought he was great yeah, yeah he's really he's always he's great good, yeah. he's a he's a he's underrated at this point in his career I think and um, and he's really really did a great job in this yeah mm-hmm. I, I loved him I, I'm trying to think I, I, something horror film wise I guess you know being a sequel like does it compare to like the Midsomars or the Hereditaries or anything like that like being like up there um, I don't know it, it operates more like a drama to me with horror elements sprinkled okay. throughout um, to be fair I think all of like my yeah. movies work that way. Like they all yeah. use to some degree or another horror movie tropes for more dramatic purposes and more sentimental movies. Movies are all super sentimental, which is what I like about them as well. They're very, they're very uh, touchy feely in the best way possible. Okay, would there be anything in this? shining Doctor Sleep universe you would want to see more explored in like a future series or do you think they should call it quits now? No, they should just stop. Yeah, I mean, they there's, just no, stop. there's no no one wanted a sequel to The Shining yeah. and it's like okay, we got one. It's pretty good. Uh, and I'm sure they could make another I mean, I guess if Stephen King does it since his stuff is selling will. so well yeah, they're going to make will. it, right? Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm curious if there there would be because I feel like Because now he's, he's pumped. He's like he really likes the movie and he's like oh, I should be doing what happens next? Well, like you said, with like the superhero type of angle, like they end this film kind of. I mean, he you just know. did that with the Institute. That was his superhero novel. Yes, and uh, and this. I mean, I don't know. I feel like at that point you're going from like Alien to uh, like <laughs> Alien Covenant. Like you're just exploring like these just areas exploring. where it could just be way more focused. Because like in this film, they said there's probably more people with the shining more people that are the true not and i wonder you know i mean that's fascinating to think about i like to explore those sequels in my my own mind i just don't necessarily want to see think it, it will make a mini series or something like that hey if this movie makes a billion dollars we'll probably do it i don't think it'll make a billion dollars but i think it'll do well i think it's really it's enjoy it's entertaining it's enjoyable it's not so scary that it's off-putting and it's just emotional enough to make people feel good upon exiting the theater so i think it'll do do pretty well so we all recommend it yeah i definitely recommend it yeah, yeah. It's, i think it's worth definitely the price of admission like even i mean i would love to see that i, I want to see it again <laughs> i mean i recommend most movies so uh, <laughs> i was like i think like it too is like objectively not a good movie yeah. and yeah i still like i was i had a great time it was a lot of fun <laughs> I did so. I I would agree with that. Like I did have a good time. I oh my goodness, like three three and a half hours. It was like I have to block out a day to watch one and two. You know, but it's I, I I'm with you there. But no, I, I genuinely enjoyed Doctor Sleep. Oh, I have one question. Yeah. About so 
in the book, Danny lives. Mm-hmm. So in the movie, now he's the, the force ghost. <laughs> um, but when we see uh, Dick Holleran, like he, it's treated as a dream. Like he says, I'm, this is, he has no uh, idea of what time is. And so, but he says, this is the last dream that I'm going to have when he has that scene with uh, Dan. So he pops up as the ghost at the end. How often can he come back to help her and guide her? Well, it seemed like, I guess in the book or movie, he had not seen Dan for many years. And then he just kind of popped back up as well. That's not the impression I got from him. Yeah, but he said that this is the last time. Yeah, I have no idea. So where does he go? Yeah, I don't know if it's like kind of like he's done with his mission. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Like he passed on all the wisdom that he needs and then now he can go. Yeah, that's 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 what I get about it. I, that, that's where I t- when he said like I'm gone, I was like, oh, he had his mission to get Danny to help this girl, and that was it, or find his lot in life, or something like that. I uh, <laughs> sort of like Beetlejuice, or I'll just hang around the house. <laughs> Her dad is probably in the next room with an eye still sticking out of his chest. Right. You think Dick has like his ghost room with naked women on the walls? I I hope so. Amazing efforts. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so. Being Mike Flanagan, do you think there would be like, if this movie this movie would have been totally different if somebody else were attached to it to co-write direct? I mean, Alfonso Cuarón was like uh, circling it briefly, uh-huh. and like you think about like what that version of it would have been like, it would have been all one shot, dark. probably. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and and probably you know very dark, very much darker. Uh, uh, there'd be had, it would have a sleeker quality, I think. Colder. But yeah, it'd be much more. Um, It'd be more brutal, I think, um, and uh, and so yeah. I mean, I, that was when they first announced the movie. He was the first name that was like brought up in in, in conversation about it, and uh, and so I spent a little while imagining what that version of the movie would be like. I'm like, okay, that's a, like I'd already read half the book at that point. I was like, okay, how do I like that would be interesting too, but I think um, I think they made a great choice with Mike Flanagan, and I think he should keep doing. I, you know he's two for two now with Stephen King movies, and I mm-hmm. I would be happy to see him keep doing more of them in the future. He did Gerald's Game, yeah, and now this, yeah. I would imagine him and <laughs> the, the the two of them are talking like, what can we do together? I gotta see more stuff of Flanagan ripping off hands. Like yeah, I say, yeah, the decloving made it to return. I definitely yeah. noticed that, and I'm yeah. like, oh, he got it in there too. Uh, you're so right about Flanagan working with all his people and putting all of this stuff together because with the oculus and yeah. the hand oh my goodness yeah that was a great scene <laughs> i think that the scene that made people squirm the most i would imagine that was the best part like that is that that entire sequence with rebecca ferguson is the best part of the movie yeah. and it's really like that visual a of... legitimately great sequence oh flying over yeah, the clouds like oh it, like you said it got the biggest audience reaction when she came back real yeah. quick and yep. <laughs> or in crow daddy yeah getting knocked out of the car uh, that was that was good there, we didn't even talk about Crow Daddy. I really loved that actor from Fargo season two. Oh yeah. yes, Bone that was him, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, yeah I, that just clicked. The guy <laughs> is really great. The guy's so great. He was a, this like almost in this film. He seemed super creepy, but also at the same time you trusted him. I don't know something like that. He had that quality. Yeah, he was smart. He was a, <laughs> Oh, cool tracker and harvester. Oh, that was, that was so good. Yes, Dr. Sleep. I think that kind of wraps up this episode of my bloody podcast. Please go see Dr. Sleep when it comes out. comes out this weekend, right? Yep, November 8th. 
November 8th. Duh. Why don't they release horror movies at Halloween? <laughs> they I used mean, to. Halloween did last year, which was a nice change of pace. But like, what? what's the deal? I don't know. They're all mixed up. They're releasing last Christmas right now. That uh, always, it was always like the Christmas movie first week of November. That's like a tradition. But they stopped doing scary movies at Halloween. Like they had countdown but that that wasn't what, that wasn't what i wanted to see right you would think this would be like the week before halloween people would go see it but i'm but i'm also curious why they do that because usually you get horror movies either halloween time or february or summer like yeah you know, all the previous halloween movies before last year's had been summer releases and it's just like why what, what's wrong with october like when that when it works they make a ton like they make a ton of money and people want to go see scary movies and it's like there's weird Delay. Yeah, no. It, I would, I'm trying to think if it was like in between. If it's awards, but would it be also be like right after summer and then right before like awards stuff, like in between where not much. Well, when it came out and it too and in the summer, summer, right? Well, September. September. September yeah, okay. So that kind of was in that zone. Bobby and it made a ton November. of money, but like, what is it about October that makes people afraid to put out horror movies then? It used to be the thing because I used to like, oh my god, it's, it's October, and we're getting all these horror movies, and then there'd be know. a few. It was like I remember, like there was like Ghost Ship, and like the like <laughs> remember that like, one? what was that Dark Castle film? Like what what was that offshoot that Robert Zemeckis had? They did they did House on Haunted Hill, Ghost Ship, Thirteen uh, Ghosts, The Haunting House of Wax, House of Wax, yes, House of Wax was summer though, so they, they did the first couple in October, and then they're like, all right, now we're going for summer because um, we got Chad Michael Murray in it. <laughs> so, that movie is good. Um, all those movies I kind of like, and but then yeah, the, so do you Paranormal think... Activity was a, every October for a little while. Yep, Saw was every October for a little while. Um, yeah, we need to get some more horror movies in October. You just you just think that that's where they belong. What what do you think? Like, do you think the best time to release horror movies usually is in October? Do you think that would sell? I mean, I just wish. I'm always from there being more horror movies, so if they need to make an extra one to put it out, <laughs> like they can release them all year long. I'm happy to go see a horror movie any time of year, but I particularly want to watch them in October when I'm like watching main, when I'm mainlining horror movies because that's how I celebrate the season. So it, they should just greenlight a couple extras and release them, you know, for the few of us that actually would go see them. I guess I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's not a good idea. I would I would. I feel Definitely. like it would be, yeah. I, if there's a good horror movie opening, any time of year, I'll pay to see it, particularly if it's in October. Yeah, there you go. No, I, I like I, I like that. And even, I guess, if they release this close to Christmas, Doctor Sleep, I'd go see it. I like horror movies at Christmas, too. That's always fun. Right. I'll go, I mean, again, I'll see it any time of year. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Bloody Christmas. Uh, oh, uh... Black Christmas. Black yeah, Christmas, I can't yeah. wait to see that. That's the new, um... Yeah, Sophia to call Yeah, great. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about it. But, yeah, that wraps up my bloody podcast. Uh, we are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Check us out. Um, and we're so happy. David uh, Lowry's here, too. He's back a year later. He's coming back. We're hoping to see you more. <laughs> I, I have a one-year rule. One, the one, <laughs> the one-year one rule. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> That or next Flanagan work. Yeah, yeah exactly. no, for well, sure. He's doing The Haunting of Bly Manor. And yeah. then he's got like some other TV show he's doing first. A pilot for so busy dude. Oh, is he, is he, oh, so he's doing the pilot episode first, and then going into the the Bly Manor. That's what that's okay. from what I understand. Okay, 
Well, it'll be good. Well, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Of course. I appreciate it. And yeah, find us on the show. Uh, we'll be back next week with more horror stuff, more horror movies. We'll see you next week.